So at Cornerstone, we have core values, and we are actually going through our core values week, one week at a time. We have six core values, and this week is the core value of discipleship. Uh, we learn to love and obey Jesus and help others do the same. This is something that we hold dear at Cornerstone, and so we're going to be talking about discipleship tonight. But before we really dive into that, I have kind of a, a serious question for all of you. What does it take to be a New Englander? I moved from Colorado five years ago, and I have taken some legitimate steps towards becoming a New Englander. My first week here, I ate New England clam chowder. I've gone to the North End. I've eaten pasta down in the North End. I've eaten at uh, Mike's Pastries. I've tried a cannoli. Uh, I've vacationed on Cape Cod, and I've actually taken the boat out to Nantucket. I've gone to a Red Sox game. I've gone to the New England Revolution. That's soccer. I've gone to the TD Garden for a concert. I even attended an academic institution in Massachusetts, and I married a girl from Massachusetts. But all of you know, this does not make me a New Englander. You have to be born here, and your parents, and their parents, and you have to die here. <laughs> so I have a, a different question, but one that's maybe a little bit more serious. What does it take to be a real Christian? What does it take to be a real Christian? Do you have to be born into it? Do you have to uh, live in a certain geographic location? Is there a type of food you have to eat? What is required? Well, actually, if you look at the story of the New Testament, you look in some of the early books uh, of the New Testament, the, the, the story of Acts, it has the early church history in it, in it and the, the first believers were not called Christians. Not until Acts chapter 11. If we want to actually kind of see who, who would become Christians, we should actually look to the disciples in the book of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about the early disciples. See, Jesus called his first students or his first followers disciples. And see, that's really what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Very simply put, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And we actually see this in the passage starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And this doesn't mean you have to be the best follower in the world. If any of you have read the New Testament, uh, you know that the, the disciples weren't the best followers of Christ. There were 12 of them. Now, Matthew tells us there's 11. That's because one of them named Judas betrayed Jesus, one of his close friends. And then another one of them, kind of the, the ringleader of the group of 12, Peter, he actually denied Jesus. And then when the Roman soldiers came to, well, when the soldiers came to take Jesus, the rest just scattered. They, they ran away. So they didn't do a very good job of following Jesus. 
They're not our best examples here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. But if you actually look a little bit earlier in chapter 28, uh, in verses 1 through 10, you see the story of two really good followers. They were Mary Magdalene and Mary. So these two women, they got up uh, on the day after the Sabbath, and they went to check out where Jesus had been laid in a tomb. And they wanted to care for him. They thought he died and was going to be dead. But they were willing to go and, and, and try to take care of his body. And they went early on a Sunday morning. And the disciples were nowhere to be found. And when they went to the tomb, an angel came down from heaven. And there were soldiers guarding the tomb and it scared them out of their mind. They, they ran away, but the women stayed, and they heard the angel tell them something. He said, you're going to take a message to those 11 disciples. You're going to tell them that Jesus is in Galilee, and he wants you to go and meet him there. And so go. And then these two women ran into Jesus right after that, and he said, take the same message to my disciples, to my 11, that I'm going to meet them in Galilee and they're to go there. And so you would think that as soon as they heard that Jesus is alive, they'd head to Galilee. But this actually is not what happens. See, if we read the Gospel of John, we find out that the disciples became very afraid. And they locked themselves in an inner room. And Jesus himself actually had to appear to them before they were willing to follow him. To go where he wanted them to go. And so you would think after Jesus appeared to them that they would go to the mountain in Galilee, but it turns out that they actually just go fishing in Galilee. So John chapter 21 tells us the story of Peter and his boat. He shouldn't have been in the boat. He should have been on the mountain. But Jesus needed to restore him, to, to call him. And finally, at that point, the disciples go to the mountain. See, a disciple is a follower of Jesus that goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus calls them to do. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who is committed to Christ despite the personal cost, despite the personal hazards. Now, I know some of you are committed to the Red Sox despite the personal cost. You follow the Red Sox, you go to their games, you root for the players, maybe some of the more dedicated fans learn the players' stats. And you go and you root for them, and especially when like, there's a game versus their rivals, like the Yankees. That's the, that's the best time to go and, and wear red and, and, and bring your team's spirit. Now, are you still a Red Sox fan, a committed Red Sox follower? If in the eighth inning they're losing, you leave. If you walk out, you've seen all of them. Are you truly a Red Sox fan? Now, have we ever abandoned Christ when the going looked rough? How about if a Yankees fan came up to you and offered to pay you to root for them? All right, lay down your, your Red Sox garb. I will pay you to deny your team and to root for mine. Well, there were other people in this story in Matthew chapter 28 who saw an angel descend from heaven, and, that, and yet they were willing to take a payout. These were the soldiers at the tomb. They could have followed Christ, but instead they went running. See, we don't hide our belief in Christ because it's convenient or because it helps us 
uh, I don't know, gain uh, fame or power in this life. A disciple is a true follower of Christ, no matter the cost. A disciple is more than just a fan. See, we follow Jesus. How do we go about doing this? We follow Jesus by loving and obeying him. Verse 17 says this, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. If we jump ahead to verse 20, Jesus tells uh, the disciples to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. We follow Jesus by loving and obeying him. Now it says in verse 17 that when the disciples saw him, when these 11 saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Now we worship what we love most. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You can love someone, you can love an individual without worshiping them, but you can't truly worship something without loving it. See, worship means to bow down. And outwardly, you can bow down everything about yourself. You can say, oh yes, I praise this thing, I worship this thing, but that's not bowing the heart. See, we can only bow the heart by loving Christ. We follow Jesus by loving him, but also by obeying him. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Uh, Sometimes we separate love from obedience. Have you ever had your parent or uh, maybe your spouse ask you to take out the garbage and you turn to them and say, I love you, and then you go back to what you were doing? (laughs) Doesn't work. Because we can't separate love from obedience. It's not true love if you're not willing to, to serve that, that person that calls you. We follow Jesus by loving him, by obeying him. But there's a reason that we do all this. We celebrated it in Advent. We celebrated it in the Lord's communion. We, uh, we, we remembered it, the Lord's Supper. It's the gospel. See, the gospel is our motivation to love and obey Jesus because Christ came to love us despite the personal cost to himself. He was willing to go to the cross to sacrifice himself so that you and I could know God for all eternity. There's no greater love than what Christ gave to us through the cross. Andy preached on love last week. And so we focus on the love of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and that motivates us to to love God, to love others, to obey Christ, because we see everything he did for us. See, to truly become a disciple, you have to first believe in Christ. You invite him into your heart and say, Lord, I, I repent of my sins. I want to put my faith in you. I love you because you first loved me. Anyone can follow Jesus, uh, even the doubters. So maybe there are some doubters in our midst tonight. Anyone can follow Christ. Notice what verse 17 says. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some of the disciples hesitated. or They, they, they didn't really believe or, or understand. I find this to be uh, incredibly comforting. Because these are people that saw Jesus die, uh, and now they're, they're with him, the resurrected Lord, and they're still doubting. Sometimes we think that if we could just live 2,000 years ago and see Jesus rise from the grave, we wouldn't have any issues and we'd be like wholehearted, committed to Christ. These disciples still doubted. But we can still follow Jesus, even the doubters. 
even the doubters, even those that hesitate. Now, I actually think that there are more than just the 11 present here in this passage. I think that the women are also with the the 11. Uh, Just by the nature of what the angel said to them, you will see him. Even though that was directed towards the disciples, I think they probably tagged along. And then if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul talks about all those that saw the resurrected Lord. And he refers to Peter and then the 500 who, who saw God all, saw Jesus risen from the grave all at once. And so if we're going in chronology, well, Jesus just hung out with Peter at the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And then this would have taken place right after that, uh, near Galilee on a mountain. And so there were probably many other followers of Jesus who also experienced some sort of doubt. But actually, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, also holds out hope for for us as well, kind of the larger crowd. Because these 500, even if they did doubt, they became witnesses. They became uh, people that were willing to validate that Jesus had indeed risen from the grave. And so this means that what follows also applies to us, but this, this right here, this doubt part, can be an encouraging part to us because it assures us that even if you struggle with doubt, like you can still be a witness for Christ. And if you are someone who doesn't yet believe in Jesus and is waiting for all the doubt to go away, you don't have to wait for all the doubt to go away. You can begin a relationship with Christ now. God accepts even a small amount of faith. We follow Jesus by loving him, by obeying him, and anyone can follow Jesus, even the doubters. You know what? In verse 18, Jesus assures us that he is worth following. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus assures you and me that he's worth it, that he is worth following, that if you put your your faith in Christ and say, I will follow you through life no matter where you take me, you won't be disappointed. Notice how Jesus responds to the doubt. So it just says, and some doubted. And verse 18 says, then Jesus came. See, Jesus drew near to them in the midst of their doubt. And if you are going through a season of, you know, having a hard time believing, Jesus can draw near to you. Jesus can draw close to you. Spirits are reminding that he is the truth. He is the way. Maybe you think of all sorts of reasons not to believe. The part of you wants to believe. Jesus can use that. And in the face of doubt, so... If I knew a whole bunch of people were doubting me, I wouldn't tell all those people to go and do a mission for me. But Jesus says, all authority has been invested in me. I'm going to send these people out on a mission. Before he sends them out, he reminds them that their confidence ultimately has to be in him, in Christ Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth Every single sphere, every single, single realm, spiritual, physical, Christ rules over it all. And so if we are following Jesus, we don't have to be afraid because he's over everything. He rules everything. He rules all. Jesus doesn't want us to trust in our own intellect, our own ability. He wants us to trust in him. Jesus assures us he's worth following And so what exactly does Jesus call us to do? 
verse 19 through 20, say this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' Jesus's command is simple. Make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. This comes straight from the Great Commission. This might sound familiar to some of you because this is the mission of our church to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. Jesus. Our mission is how we want to achieve our vision. And our mission comes right from the Great Commission. Now, I've never served in the military, but I do know that in the military, there are commissioned officers. And commissioned officers are those that have been appointed specifically by the government to to carry out uh, the government's desire to, uh, to protect. And commissioned officers have the right to give commands They carry the very authority of the government of the state, and they can act on behalf of a higher power. See, you and I, we've also been given a commission. We have been sent out, but our commission supersedes all other commissions. It is the highest commission possible, one that has been given to us from one that rules heaven and earth. So that means that uh, if, if we ever enter a time where uh, this nation says, you know, you can't believe in Christ, you can't talk about Christ, well, we say, no, our commission supersedes your command. But this is also kind of a warning because if we don't take uh, the commission of Christ, the mission that Christ sends us on seriously, then we're actually committing treason against heaven and earth. So what does Jesus commission us to do? To make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. I hope that you're going to see each one of these stages come out of the text. Verses 19 and 20. So first, Jesus calls us to make new followers. We're each given this task. He says, make disciples of all nations. Nations, some of you might know this, uh, is the Greek word ethnos. So make disciples of all ethnicities, of all nations. Ethnos here also means uh, non-Jews. It means Gentiles. That was the word in the Bible for the non-Jewish people. And this verse is our motivation for missions. We at Cornerstone don't yet have uh, a missions program. But when we do get that, it will come out of this verse that we are to... uh, partake in that mission to reach all ethnicities with the good news about Jesus Christ. But I think it starts closer to home before we go around the globe. See, the, the, the disciples, these 11, they didn't really like the, the non-Jews of their culture. This is, this is appropriate to kind of their context. Uh, well, it's just true to their context uh, because there were Romans that came in and kind of were ruling over the Jews, the, and, and they were their oppressors. And so no wonder they didn't really have warm feelings towards uh, the, the Romans, towards the non-Jews. These were the type of people that didn't worship like them, that didn't act like them, that didn't prioritize the same things in life as them. 
These are the kinds of people that God calls us to reach, that Jesus calls us, us to reach as well today. Jesus says to go and make new disciples out of these people, these nations that are different than us, that don't look exactly alike us. Now, notice that Jesus has his disciples go climb a mountain. I wonder why he had them do that. I think it's so that they could get to the top of the mountain and they could look out and they could see all the different places where the nations were. They could see Phoenicia. They could see uh, the Mediterranean. I imagine I haven't been there, but uh, they could see into the distance. They could see towns and cities, different regions. Because he wanted them to reach all these people, and these people were right in their backyards. The Bible, the New Testament, actually calls Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. See, the, the 11 were actually from Galilee. They were from a place that was full of people that didn't believe like them, that didn't look like them, talk like them, that didn't trust their God. And Jesus says, go and start right here and reach these people. Reach the Galilee of the Gentiles. Reach your hometown. Maybe some of you have been to the Neshoba Valley ski area. I have not yet had the pleasure of riding the hill. Uh, but maybe you have been there. Have you ever looked out across and said, wow, this is our mission field? How about tonight when you pull out of the, the church parking lot and you go up our hill in Westford, when you get to the top of the hill in Westford, what are you going to think? Are you going to think this is my mission field or something else? How about when you get home to your block or tomorrow, because uh, I guess it's two days from now, when you go to work, do you see a mission field? Do you see people that you're supposed to reach? Or is it just another normal day? Jesus sends us to Galilee of the Gentiles. He sends us to where we are already. You don't have to go to the other side of the world to reach them. Now, the verse talks about baptizing, teaching, and going. And I think the baptism part is really one-to-one -one for the make portion of our mission statement. Baptism uh, is a symbol of uh, putting your faith in Christ. Um, and uh, baptism is a kind of a symbol of entering into uh, the New Covenant community, the church, where you say, I affiliate with Christ, I affiliate with his people. Now, we have a baptismal back here, and as far as I know, I could be wrong with this, but as far as I know, it has never been used. I believe when it was inspected, the, the seals were a little dried out. See, we have a wonderful place where we can baptize new believers as they say, I commit to Christ. Now notice from our verse that we can't force anyone to put their faith in Christ. I think the verse actually makes that clear. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, it takes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to bring someone to Christ. You and I cannot convert anyone, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit draws people to the Son. I think baptism also goes back to this theme of commissioning. Uh, it's, uh, when you get commissioned in the military, you, you take an oath of office. You agree to represent the government. 
Baptism is like taking that same oath and saying, I agree to represent Christ. I am publicly professing that I want to be a follower of Jesus, that I am a follower of Jesus, and I agree to represent him as a follower. So if you are interested in, in, in baptism uh, and going through the process to publicly uh, kind of testify that you believe in Jesus and that you are a follower, then come talk to me. Come talk to me after the service. Maybe we'll have a baptism class in January. But it's a serious thing because to be a follower of Jesus is saying, I'm willing to love him and I'm also willing to obey him. And so if you're willing to love and obey him, haven't been baptized yet, come talk with me. Make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. So first, Jesus calls us to make new followers, new disciples. And second, Jesus calls us to mature his followers. This is really uh, the part of the Great Commission that says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The word obey also means guard or kind of this idea of safekeeping. See, Jesus orders us to safeguard his teachings, the things that he passed along to us, that he is God, that he's given us the word, the New Testament. We're to guard these things. We're to know the Bible. We're to know kind of the doctrines, the the right beliefs of the New Testament, grace, faith. But I also think that sitting on the mountain probably reminded the disciples of the Sermon on the Mount. We, as a church, are actually going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be talking about meeting Jesus in Matthew. We'll talk about who Jesus is, what he taught, and what he came to do. We're actually launching this series two weeks from tonight, so I encourage you to come back, invite a friend. It's a great week to invite a friend. Uh, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. So first, we're called to make followers of Jesus. Second, we're called to mature them, to grow them up in in the Lord. And third, Jesus calls us to multiply his followers. This comes from the verse where it says, Therefore, go. Go. Now, the only command in this verse is make disciples, uh, But there are three words that modify command, going, baptizing, and teaching. See, Jesus is saying, as you're going, make disciples by teaching, by baptizing. So going is really this idea of multiplication, that you and I uh, each take personal responsibility for uh, reproducing Christ's kingdom in someone else. So a question to ask is who are you praying for? Who are you lifting up before the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I want this person to come to know you? Who are you seeking to introduce to Jesus? So that's the make portion. What about the mature portion? Who are you trying to disciple? Who are you encouraging in Christ and helping them get through their life and learn about Jesus? We should each take personal responsibility I've had many mentors in my life, and they've poured into me, and then I've tried to mentor other people. There should be this chain. Uh, This week, I actually have a homework assignment for everyone here. I want you to go home, and I want you to pray about your top 10 most wanted. So these are 10 people that that the Lord has laid on your heart to pray for. Now, these are not prayer requests like, you know, we want them to, to get physically better. This is a spiritual request. 
Lord, I would like to see these 10 people in my life, the ones that you have already placed in my life, come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, your top 10 most wanted. So bring that back next week. I'm not going to ask you to kind of go through the list of names with me, but I do want you to bring it back next week. So this week, top 10 most wanted, pray about it, write down their names, and bring that list back. And the, the maturing part, part, we at Cornerstone put that into practice through our small groups. That's really our main place for discipleship building, for community building. Uh, if you're not pouring into someone or you don't know how, join a small group. Then you can be poured into and you can kind of learn uh, what it means to uh, grow together in God in a group of people. Make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. This is our command. This is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus calls us to do. He called his disciples to do it, his followers 2,000 years ago. And you and I, we're still following Jesus today, and he's calling us to it right now. I was thinking about how far the disciples had to travel to get to Galilee, to the mountain. They probably had to walk about 70 miles to get to the mountain. They traveled. And I imagine once they got there, they were probably pretty tired. And one of the first things Jesus says to them is, go. <laughs> now, we just launched a church. We spent, uh, a group of us spent about nine, ten months preparing to get this church off the ground. That was a long journey. But we haven't arrived yet. Christ is calling us to go, to keep going, to make, mature, and multiply his followers because this is our mission as a church. And you know what? Jesus doesn't abandon us in this calling. The very last line says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I, I am the great I am. I am with you. I am with you, Cornerstone Congregational Church. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. And if you know the story of Cornerstone, I think it's pretty obvious the Lord has been with us, and he's so good, and he's so gracious. But he's calling on us to keep going, to make, mature, and multiply his followers. Let's pray. Father God, would you help us to take personal responsibility for the Great Commission in our own lives? Would you give us ten names that we can be praying for, of people that we'd love to introduce to you as their Lord and Savior? Would this message hit home in all of our hearts? I lift up the offering now, Lord, that helps us accomplish this great commission, this mission that we're called to. Lord, would we give it freely? Would we give it uh, as an offering of thanksgiving for everything that you have done for us? In Jesus' name, amen.